So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Killer instinct. Now, before we get started, we do have something a little bit different happening this week. We had some technical difficulties with getting this week's brand new episode up. And while unfortunately we weren't able to fix those technical difficulties, we also didn't want to leave you without an episode either. So instead, I wanted to bring back, in my opinion, one of the most compelling and interesting unsolved cases that we have covered on this podcast. I covered it a little over a year ago with you guys, and since I know we have a lot of new listeners, I figured this would be the perfect case to share with you this week. Again, I really do apologize for this. It's the last thing that I've ever wanted to happen. However, I promise you will have a brand new episode next week. So until then, sit back, relax, and let's jump into today's case. Hello, everyone. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Now, if you're listening to this on the podcast, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We post weekly here every Wednesday, and you are not going to want to miss it. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button as well. Now, for today's case, you guys, this is an absolute crazy one. We are talking about Diane Kine, who was murdered in her own home in 2010. Now, this is an unsolved case that has so many twists and turns, so many he said, she said aspects to it, and there really is only two possibilities of who killed Diane that day. That would be her husband and her son. So with that being said, Let's jump right on into it. Now, this case starts in Seminole, Florida with a man named William Kine. Now, William also goes by Bill, and that's what we will be referring to him as throughout this case. Now, Bill was a single father to five children when he met a woman named Diane. Bill's first wife had actually died only eight months prior to him meeting Diane in early 2001. Bill's first wife was named Krista Kine, and she had taken a fatal fall in the middle of the night while walking outside that resulted in her hitting her head and falling in the pool ultimately drowning. Now, Krista's body was found on the morning of Easter Sunday in the year 2000, and Bill was actually the one who found her body. So you can imagine, after losing his wife and the mother of his five children, this was obviously a very traumatic and hard time for their family. I think saying that would be an understatement. So when Bill met Diane, he definitely felt like a new light was coming in to his life. Bill had met Diane at a nail salon that Diane had owned with her twin 
sister. Bill and his eldest daughter, Rebecca, had actually come up with a plan that he was going to take Rebecca to get her nails done at Diane's salon. That way, Diane and Bill would be able to have a proper, formal meeting. Now, according to Rebecca, her and her siblings were very encouraging of their dad finding someone new and going into the dating scene. They saw how heartbroken and distraught he was after losing his wife, and they really wanted just him to be happy. That was ultimately it for them. That was their goal for their dad. And so when he met Diane, they were all very, very supportive of it. Now, by the time Diane came into the picture, she really took care of Bill, which was something that he needed at the time. Bill even describes Diane as being his dream girl. That is how infatuated he was with her. Diane was a beautiful person on the inside and the out. She was the type of person that everyone could always count on. She was always there for her family and her friends. She loved family gatherings. She loved entertaining. And one thing that she loved more than anything else in the world was her son, Kevin. Now, Diane and Kevin were extremely, extremely close. Diane basically raised him all on her own, sometimes with the help of Kevin's paternal grandmother, but that was about it. Kevin was Diane's pride and joy, and Kevin really was the definition of a mama's boy. Him and his mother had an extremely close relationship, and Kevin says that he loves his mother just as much as she loved him. Now, according to Kevin, he says just as much as Bill's kids were happy for Bill when Bill met Diane, Kevin had that same excitement for his mom when she met Bill. Kevin said that he really liked Bill in the beginning and that he was very supportive of Diane. He did a lot of things for his mom, and he thought that they were a really good fit. Now, Bill and Diane got married married in 2002, and at the time, Kevin was 15 years old and walked his mom down the aisle. After they got married, Kevin and Diane moved in with Bill in his home in Seminole, Florida. They lived in a nice neighborhood, and Bill and Diane were really ready to start this next chapter of their lives together. Kevin actually took Bill's last name of Kine, and that was something that was Kevin's idea. And Bill was very, very honored, he said in that moment, that Kevin wanted to be a Kine. That was a very big moment for their family. And both Kevin and Bill were really excited about it. But everything wasn't all smooth sailing for Kevin in this transition because Kevin had always grown up as an only child. He was the center of attention for his mother. He never had to compete for any attention, and now he was entering a house with five other siblings, all who have grown up together, all who have created all these memories together. And he's really coming in as what he thought was the odd man out. According to some of Kevin's family members, Bill's kids didn't always make it the easiest transition for Kevin. There was often a lot of tension between Bill's kids and Kevin. And Kevin was always, again, used to having all of the attention on him. It was always his way or the highway. And now he felt like he had to compete with five other siblings for the attention of his parents. Now, fast forward to 2010. And at this time, all of Bill's kids had moved out. They had all gone on and started their own lives. However, Kevin was still living at home with his mom and Bill. He was 23 years old, he was unemployed, and with the combination of those things, there was definitely a lot of tension brought into the house. Kevin would often just sit at home all day and sit on the computer. The computer 
was his best friend. Even though the computer wasn't his, he was constantly on it. He was constantly changing the passwords to it. He never got up from the computer if he didn't have to. And this really bothered both Diane and Bill, who were frustrated over the fact that Kevin wasn't getting up and getting a job. He wasn't starting his own life. It was a very entitled way to live. And both Diane and Bill were really struggling on how to approach Kevin with this. But this is when something really drastic happened in Kevin's life. Kevin actually found out that he had a benign brain tumor and he needed brain surgery, obviously, to remove it. And obviously with surgery comes recovery and Kevin needed that support system during his recovery. So obviously Bill and Diane agreed that they would have Kevin stay with them while he was recovering. And once he did recover, Bill and Diane decided that that would be the time that they would have Kevin go out and start living on his own. Even though Kevin's health was the most important at that time, Kevin's health also did put kind of a strain in between Bill and Diane's plans for the next chapter of their life. Before finding out about Kevin's tumor, Bill and Diane had planned to sell the house that they were currently living in because it was Bill's home. That was the home that he had with his first wife. That was the home that all of his kids had been raised in. And Diane and Kevin kind of just entered into that. And Diane and Bill wanted to get a house together. They called it their dream home. They wanted to start a new life together and have this next chapter really just focus on the two of them. And according to Kevin, he said that he was also aware that it was time for him to get up and get out of the house. He said he didn't want to live with his parents forever either. And he was also aware that they wanted him out just as much. So now we move to August 15th of the year 2010. And this was a Sunday and it started out as any normal Sunday. Bill spent his day cleaning the pool and mowing the lawn, and Kevin spent his day gearing up to watch the NASCAR races that were going to be on later that day, and both Bill and Kevin were going to watch them together. Now, while both Bill and Kevin were doing their own things that day, Diane was also just hanging out in the house and hanging out in her bedroom, the master bedroom. And for all things considered, this seemed like a very normal day until everything changed. A little bit before 2 p.m. on August 15th, 2010, 911 gets a phone call from Kevin. On this call, Kevin is begging for authorities to come to his house right away because he claimed that Bill was trying to kill him. He said on the call that him and his dad, Bill, were outside of the house fighting in the lawn, and Kevin said that his dad was trying to choke him until ultimately on the call, he said, quote, he just killed my mom, end quote. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. 
and we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kevin has just told the 911 operator that not only is Bill trying to kill him, but Bill has just killed Diane. The 911 operator was trying to calm Kevin down on the other end of the line. However, ultimately, Kevin hung up the phone and ran down the street. Just a couple moments later, 911 gets a second phone call. This time, from Bill. When Bill gets on the phone with the 911 operator, Bill tells them, quote, my son just killed my wife. Bill goes on to say that he had heard Kevin and Diane arguing, and when the 911 dispatcher asked where Kevin was in that moment, Bill told the 911 operator that Kevin had ran off down the street. So just for clarification purposes, at this point, both Kevin and Bill are accusing each other of killing Diane. Now, when authorities arrived on the scene, they found Diane laying face up in her bed in the master bedroom, and it appeared that she had been strangled to death. Authorities searched around the room and noticed that there were some interesting pieces of evidence laying around. They found a broken pair of glasses laying on the floor at the bottom of the bed. They also found a singular shoe at the end of the bed with the matching pair being outside of the bedroom. But probably the most interesting piece of evidence were these small spots of blood that were found on the bed sheets as well as on Diane's leg. Not only was the master bedroom looking like an absolute mess, but the entire property was as well. By the time police arrived, they found two shirts as well as a pair of shorts in the front yard, and there was also a phone in the front yard as well. So obviously at this point, police took both Kevin and Bill in for their separate interrogations because they were the only two people in that house at this point. Remember, this was a little bit before 2 p.m. We're talking the early afternoon. This was not some random attack in the middle of the night. It either had to have been Kevin murdered Diane or Bill murdered Diane. So let's talk about what Bill said happened that day. Now, according to Bill, he said that him and Kevin were sitting down together on the couch to watch the NASCAR races. Now, while they were both sitting on the couch, Bill said that Kevin had gotten up from the couch and said that he was going to go talk to his mom for a second. He didn't say why or what the topic of conversation was, but he got up and walked into the master bedroom. While he was in there, Bill said that she heard Diane call out Kevin. She said Kevin's name very loudly, but Bill didn't think too much of it at first. Bill then said that a couple minutes went by anywhere between 5 and 15 minutes, and that is when he decided that things were taking a little bit too long, so he wanted to go in and make sure everything was okay. He hadn't heard anything else, but he just wanted to check in on what was going on. So he walked into the master bedroom, and when he did, Bill said that he found Kevin on top of Diane strangling her. Once Bill saw this, he said he then ran over to Kevin and grabbed Kevin by his back and pulled him off 
of Diane. And when this happened, Bill and Kevin basically wrestled with each other all throughout the house until they both got to the front yard, which is when Kevin picked up the phone and made that 911 call. Bill explained that the reason that the pair of shorts and the shirts were found in the front yard was because during the midst of the wrestling match going on between the two of them, Bill tried to pull Kevin down, which in turn just had his shirt come off. And then Bill said that for whatever reason, Kevin himself removed his shorts while he was reaching in his pocket to take out the phone to call 911. Bill said that while Kevin was on the phone, Bill told Kevin to stop what he was doing. However, instead, he just ran down the street. Bill said that after Kevin ran down the street, he then took a second and collected his breath and his thoughts before he then picked up the phone and called 911, claiming that Kevin had just murdered Diane. Now, after calling 911, Bill then called his eldest daughter, Rebecca, who immediately rushed over to the house. And Rebecca said that when she got to the house, she found her father sitting outside with his head in his hands, and he was absolutely distraught. So that is Bill's side of the story. That's Bill's series of events of what happened on the day of August 15th, 2010. But let's talk about what Kevin said happened on the day of August 15th, 2010. Now, Kevin said that this day started out like any normal Sunday, but he was feeling a little bit sick this day. So he said that he was just laying on the couch getting ready for the NASCAR races when Bill came over and tapped him on his head and told him that Diane needed to talk to him right away. Now, Kevin said that, again, he wasn't feeling well, he was really tired, so he told Bill to tell Diane to give him a minute and that he would be in there in a little bit. A couple minutes went by and Kevin said that Bill came back to him and very aggressively told Kevin that his mom needed to speak to him right away. Kevin didn't understand what the rush was all about, but he said that he then got up and walked towards the master bedroom where his mom was. Kevin said that the door was shut when he walked up to it, and when he opened the door, he wasn't able to get in the bedroom at all before Bill came up from behind him and put him in a chokehold. Kevin said he was obviously completely caught off guard, not understanding what was going on, but knew that he had to get out of this chokehold. So he started wrestling with Bill to get out of the chokehold, and that is when he caught a glimpse of his mother's face. Remember, he said that he was not in the master bedroom at all. However, the door was open, so he was able to see inside of it. When he saw Diane's face, he claims that Diane was completely black and blue, and she was already dead. Kevin claimed that the reason he ran outside and down the street was because Bill was trying to kill him and he was just trying to save his own life. Now, obviously these are completely different stories. Both Bill and Kevin swear that neither of them were the ones to kill Diane. Now, as we've seen in all cases before, the first person that always gets looked at in a murder investigation is the spouse. The spouse is always the first person that gets looked at. So that was no different in this case. However, what was different in this case was the fact that most homicide cases, when looking at the spouse, the spouse doesn't typically have a husband or a wife who has previously died, but Bill did. Like I mentioned in the beginning, Bill had a previous wife who had drowned in their pool after taking a fatal 
fall and Bill was the one to find her. So this obviously was a red flag to the investigators as I'm sure it was a red flag for you when I first mentioned it. Now Bill's first wife Krista did have a $250,000 life insurance policy when she died that Bill did claim and this was actually not the only insurance claim that Bill had ever had. Bill had insurance payouts when his auto shop burned down and another on an investment property fire. Now, Diane also had a life insurance policy on her. It was $750,000 was Diane's life insurance policy that Bill was actually the beneficiary for. Now, with all of these insurance claims that Bill had, it definitely had police wondering if Bill was just this insurance fraud guy who was causing all of these events to happen that way he could collect the insurance money and bill has said himself that makes sense he understands why people would think that however he defends himself by saying that every event that has happened where he has collected insurance money all of that has been investigated and he has been cleared for all of it and he says that even though he has been able to collect a lot of insurance money he was never responsible for any of it now, regardless of what Bill says, Kevin doesn't buy it. Kevin, to this day, believes that Bill has killed Diane to get her life insurance money. And I don't think anyone can deny that that seems like a plausible motive. Life insurance money is something that we see as a motive very frequently in homicide investigations and in homicide cases, and something that also didn't necessarily help Bill nor Kevin's case was the fact that when the 911 call was made and first responders arrived onto the scene, they went into Diane's bedroom and looked for a pulse to see if she had one, and they noticed that her body was already cold, meaning that it was possible that Diane could have just been in her bedroom dead for a longer period of time than what Bill is claiming. Again, this makes Bill's story look more suspicious than Kevin's because Kevin claimed that he walked in to finding his mother dead, while Bill claimed that he walked in to watching Kevin strangle Diane. Another thing that definitely does not make Bill look good in this is the fact that he never went back to check on Diane after Kevin had run down the street and he called 911. Nowhere in that entire wrestling match and going out into the front yard and Kevin running down the street, nowhere in that did Bill then go and try and check on Diane. Not even when he pulled Kevin off of Diane did Bill go and check on Diane. And a lot of people believe that the reason that Bill never went and checked on Diane was because that he knew that she was already dead. And Bill really doesn't have an explanation for this. He said that he just didn't check on her. He assumed that she was already dead. He says, looking back, I should have checked on her. I wish I would have checked on her. However, I didn't. So he really doesn't have an explanation for that. Now, when Diane's body was processed for DNA, the forensics team did find some DNA on Diane's neck. And when they matched the DNA to both Kevin and Bill, it came back as a direct match to Bill, meaning that Bill's DNA was on Diane's neck. Now, Bill claims that the reason for this is because him and Diane were a very loving couple and, you know, they were married and he says that his DNA should be on Diane. So that was his argument for the DNA. Now, authorities decided that they wanted to give Bill a lie detector test and Bill agreed to do this. And there were three very specific questions that Bill was asked. The first one being, did you cause the death of Diane Kine? 
The second being, did you cause the death of Diane Kine on August 15th, 2010? And the third being, did you lie about Kevin being on top of Diane on August 15th, 2010. Now, for each of those three questions, Bill answered no. However, the polygraph results show that Bill was not telling the truth. Now, those are three very critical questions, very specific questions, and all three Bill failed. Now, Bill has an argument for this as well. He says that this is a perfect example of why lie detector tests are not admissible in a court of law, and that is because that they often give incorrect results. And he said that's exactly what happened here. He said he can't explain why he failed those three questions. He just did, but he did not kill Diane. I also want to mention that Bill does have a little bit of a track record. Between the years of 1975 and 2014, Bill had been arrested four different times for driving under the influence. So Bill's not looking too good. All signs are really pointing to him and he knows it. But just when authorities are starting to think that this case is a done deal and that Bill is responsible for this, they start learning some things that they hadn't noticed at first. The first being that five years prior to Diane's death in 2005, Police remembered that this was not the first time that they had been called to Bill and Diane's home. They remembered specifically a time back in 2005, just five years prior to the murder, when Kevin was 18 years old. He had gotten into a fight so badly with Diane's sister that police were actually called. Authorities said when they arrived, Kevin was trying to fight with the police, and he even tried to get his dog to attack the police. So because of this, Kevin was arrested for battery on a law enforcement officer, as well as resisting arrest. Several months before the attack, Bill said that Kevin and his mother Diane actually got into a really heated argument, and Kevin even pulled out a knife onto his mother. However, Kevin claims that this never happened. Now, there was even a time where Diane had bolted her bedroom door shut to stay away from Kevin. However, Kevin kicked the door down. So even though, you know, Kevin and his mother growing up had this very idyllic relationship, she was an absolutely amazing mother who loved her son, her son loved her. Kevin definitely did struggle with some anger issues and him and his mother did have a tumultuous relationship in his late teens and early 20s. When looking into Kevin's history, investigators also realized that there had been multiple times where Kevin had tried to get Bill to hit him. And the reason that he did this was because Kevin wanted a reason to call 911 and to make Bill go to jail. Rebecca remembers multiple instances where Kevin would get into Bill's face and tell him to hit him so he would have a reason to get Bill to go to jail. Things between Kevin and his parents got so bad at one point that when Kevin was 21 years old, Diane and Bill got him legally evicted from their home. However, a couple weeks later, Diane did feel bad for kicking her son out of their home, so she allowed him to come back. However, when we look at the year 2010, the year that Diane was murdered, everything was escalating with Kevin. Kevin and Diane were on such terrible terms that even though they both lived under the same roof and in the same home, neither of them would speak to each other. The only way that they would communicate was via email. 
Again, the fact that Kevin was unemployed, not actively looking for a job, was still living in the house and was sitting around all day really doing nothing caused a lot of tension between him Bill and Diane. And Diane had really had enough of it. Just about a week prior to Diane's murder, Kevin and his mom got into an explosive fight that Bill's kids were also there to witness. This fight included Kevin cussing his mother out, calling him all of the names under the sun. And that's when Bill and Diane had enough. They had given Kevin a date where he had to move out, and that date was September 21st, 2010, just a little over a month after the murder. And again, that fight took place just a week before Diane was murdered. And when looking at Kevin as a possible person of interest in this case and a possible suspect, when you look at what his motive could have possibly been, that right there is it. A lot of people believe that Kevin's motive in this was the fact that he was finally getting kicked out of the house, his mom was finally putting her foot down, and he was being forced to leave. And with his previous anger issues in the past, it could have driven him over the edge to murdering Diane. Because when you also look at the way that Diane was murdered, it was strangulation. The act of strangulation is a very personal death. You have to have a lot of anger to strangle someone. It is not a super quick process, and every crime expert has said that. It takes some time. You have to have a lot of anger to be strangling someone to the point where they are dead. And a lot of people believe that Kevin clearly had that anger in him. Now, let's talk about some of the inconsistencies with what Kevin's story was versus what the evidence showed. Now, Kevin again said that he did not go into that bedroom. He never actually stepped foot in the master bedroom because by the time he opened the door, Bill came from behind him and put him in a chokehold. However, when detectives looked through the master bedroom, they found Kevin's broken glasses at the end of Diane's bed, which would suggest that he in fact was in the room. Along with that, the shoe that had been found, the singular shoe that had been found in the bedroom with the matching pair found outside, those shoes belonged to Kevin. Bill said that those were the shoes that he would just wear around the house. But when asked about those shoes, Kevin claimed that those were not his shoes. And not only did he claim that they were not his shoes, he said that he had never seen those shoes before in his life. Now, Bill has claimed that that is absolutely ridiculous because him and Diane had actually gifted Kevin those shoes just about a year prior to the murder. Now, because of this, Kevin was actually arrested for the murder of his mother, Diane. He was, of course, pleading that he didn't do it, so he ended up taking a polygraph test. And unlike Bill, Kevin actually passed his polygraph test when those same questions were asked to him about did he kill his mother? Did he kill his mother on August 15th, 2010? All of those questions, Kevin passed, and again, Bill never passed that polygraph test. Now, when Kevin passed the polygraph test, the prosecution started to think that maybe Kevin didn't do this. There wasn't enough evidence to prove that Kevin was the one who did this, but there also wasn't enough evidence to prove that Bill was the one who did this. So the prosecution decided to put Kevin in front of a grand jury so that they could hear Kevin's side of the story. And that way, if the jury found him not guilty, he wouldn't have to be indicted and his charges would be dropped and he would be 
freed. But here's where things get a little tricky for Kevin. During this indictment trial with the grand jury, Kevin gets up on the witness stand and starts explaining his side of the story. But this is when the prosecution has a new piece of information that Kevin does not know about and is about to completely shake his entire story. Remember how I mentioned earlier when authorities were going in and finding evidence of the crime scene, they found spots of blood on the bed sheets as well as on Diane's leg? Well, those spots of blood were tested and it was concluded that that blood was actually Kevin's. Kevin's blood was not only found on the bed sheets, but was also found on his mother's leg. And when the prosecution presented him with this evidence, which mind you, again, it was while he was on the witness stand during his indictment trial, Kevin had no explanation. Kevin was completely caught off guard. He had no reasoning for why the blood was found on his leg. He couldn't answer as to why that would be the case. However, with having Kevin's blood on Diane and at the crime scene, that was enough for Kevin to actually be arrested and charged with first degree murder. He pled not guilty and his case was now headed to trial. Now let's talk about the blood stains for a second. So there was a blood stain expert who police had hired to look at the blood found at the crime scene. And according to this blood stain expert, she said that with where the blood was found, there was no way that one, Kevin was not in that room, which is what he had been claiming this entire time. And two, with the way that the blood was found, Kevin would have had to have been hovering over the bed, which matches up with Bill's story that Kevin was strangling Diane when he walked into the room on the bed. The bloodstain expert claimed that the blood would have either had to have been from when Kevin was attacking his mother or when Bill pulled Kevin off of Diane. And remember earlier how I mentioned the shoe that was found in the room that was apparently Kevin's, but Kevin said he had never seen it before? Well, Kevin's DNA was also all over that shoe, which again showed police that Kevin is here lying yet again. And police chalk this up to being that the reason that Kevin lied about this was because if Kevin says that these were his shoes, that then places Kevin in the room, which then basically debunks his entire story of he was never in there. Now, the defense, on the other hand, during Kevin's trial, basically claimed that Bill was the murderer and not Kevin. They said that Bill's DNA was found on Diane's neck, therefore he had to be the murderer. And that was really the stance in this case. The prosecution was arguing that this was Kevin and not Bill, and the defense was arguing that this was Bill and not Kevin. And after the trial was all said and done, the jury deliberated for four hours before their verdict came back. And the verdict read that the jury found Kevin Kine guilty of second degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Now, the entire courtroom let out a huge sigh of relief when this verdict was read. The only person who was not happy with this verdict was Kevin's paternal grandmother, the woman who he also was raised by during his childhood. However, even though Bill said that he felt like justice was served, this still wasn't going to replace Diane. Bill said that he still lost the woman that he was planning on growing old with. So even though Kevin was going to prison forever, this didn't make his loss any better. Bill even claims that he doesn't believe that Diane would even want 
Kevin to serve any time for her murder. So Kevin is sentenced to life in prison, but this case does not end there. Kevin's defense team appealed his conviction, saying that a piece of information that was presented in the case, which was that Kevin had threatened to call 911 multiple times and had called 911 multiple times on Bill in the past, placing a prejudice against Kevin, making the jury already have a faulty idea of who he was. So basically, what's going on here is that before Diane's murder, Kevin had called 911 multiple times. Any excuse he had to call 911, he would. And the prosecution used this and basically said that Kevin was the boy who cried wolf and transferred that into their way of saying Kevin was the boy who called 911. He always called 911. And because of that, the prosecution used that argument to their advantage and said that Kevin calling 911 to report Bill being a murderer wasn't anything different that he had done in the past. He was always calling 911, always trying to get Bill in trouble. And so this was no different. And the defense team really thought that this put, again, a prejudice against Kevin. And so when they appealed his conviction, that is what they said. And crazy enough, the appeal courts agreed and Kevin was granted a brand new trial. Now, the trial began in February 2015 and Bill showed up every single day of this trial. The defense hammered hard on Bill's motive being that the life insurance policy was all that he wanted and the fact that he never went back to check on Diane. That was a big point that the defense made. Now, Kevin actually testified in this trial. He testified in the indictment trial and he testified in his second trial, but he never testified in the first trial that found him guilty and sentenced him to life. So Kevin took the stand this time. Kevin ran through the entire day of August 15th, talked about the great relationship he had with his mom, but also admitted to the arguments that they also had. However, this is where things in Kevin's story started to get a little different. When Kevin was on the stand, he started to shake things up a little bit. Instead of claiming like he always had, that Kevin had never entered the bedroom, Kevin actually says now that he did enter the bedroom a little bit, but claims it was only a couple steps. So for all of this time from 2010 to 2015, Kevin had claimed that he never entered the room. However, now on the witness stand of his second trial, he's saying that he did enter the bedroom, but he didn't go in there all the way. He said it was just a couple steps. So that was the first thing he changed. The second thing he changed was the fact that when he was presented the information about the shoe, the one that was found in the bedroom and the matching one being found outside of the door, he said that those were his shoes. He said that he wore them all the time and that they were considered his house shoes. He would just walk around with them in the house, which is, again, never something that he said before. And the prosecution even said when cross-examining him that that was all new information, that he had never stated any of that before. And Kevin didn't really have an explanation for why he was changing his story all of a sudden. However, regardless of why he was changing it, it worked. The jury deliberated for six hours before coming back with a verdict and finding Kevin Kine not guilty of Diane's murder. At this point, Kevin had spent four years in prison, but he was released the following day after the verdict was made. So to this day, both Kevin and Bill are walking as free men, and Diane's death is still unsolved. Now, the big question here, in my opinion, is the blood evidence. That, to me, makes absolutely no sense. I don't understand 
how no one has an explanation for that. If it's Kevin's blood, how did it get there? The fact that Kevin does not have an explanation for how his blood ended up on his mother, it doesn't make any sense to me. Also, the back and forth on he did go in the room, he didn't go into the room, that is my shoe, that's not my shoe, that's also very questionable as well. It either is your shoe or it's not your shoe. It's not one or the other. And I think Kevin knew that the whole time. Now, the wild reality of this case is that one of these men are lying and whoever is lying knows it and whoever is telling the truth knows it. Both of them are pinning this on each other to this day. Kevin says that he did not do it and that Bill did. And Bill claims that he is innocent and Kevin is the murderer walking free. Now, I don't know if this case will ever come to a conclusion. Kevin cannot be tried in this case again because of double jeopardy. He's already been tried for this case twice, so he cannot be tried for it again. Kevin's defense team does want Bill to stand trial for Diane's murder. However, the prosecution says that would never happen because the only way to argue that Bill didn't do it would be to argue that Kevin did, and Kevin cannot be put on trial again for this. So there is so much back and forth in this. There's so much he said, she said, and again, I don't know if we will ever have an answer. I think it is very strange and obviously should be noted that this is not Bill's first wife who has died. He obviously has had multiple insurance payouts in his life. He was the beneficiary for Diane's life insurance policy, and he still lived in the same house that his first wife had died in when Diane died. Diane and Bill's first wife both died in the same house. I do believe that is strange, but I am so curious to hear what you guys have to say about it. I really encourage you to watch some interviews that Kevin and Bill has done. I will say just based off of the interviews, I get a very weird feeling about Kevin. I don't always put my insight on where I lie in cases, but I really question Kevin in this case. I think that he has shown himself to have a lot of anger issues. I think the fact that he was getting evicted from his family's house, the fact that he has always grown up an only child and then was kind of thrown into this Brady Bunch of five other children and not really knowing how to handle it. I think the combination of all of those things and having a massive blowout fight the week prior could definitely have been the catalyst that started this all but let me know what you guys think about it all right you guys that is the end of this episode thank you so much for tuning into it if you're listening to me on the podcast again make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button that way you never miss an episode we post weekly here every wednesday you're not going to want to miss it also make sure you go ahead and share this episode with anyone that you know who loves true crime the more exposure we get on these cases the better chance they have of being solved the more tips that come in and the better chance we have of bringing justice to these victims i will be be back next week with a brand new one for you guys and until then stay safe bye guys So I I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. 
bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.